1: always with you. He is ever-present in your life. In fact, the scripture says that he's an ever-present in our time of help, but he's ever-present all the time with you. We don't suddenly all of a sudden come and say, oh, he's here. No, he's here. He was here with you. He met you here. He'll go home with you. He's always with you. Don't localize him.
0: Don't believe that he can only be in one place. Have you ever realized that if you are a believer, you are not and will never have to be alone. The truth can be hard to grasp, but when you do grab hold of it, it brings such freedom. In today's message, Pastor Dave will teach you about how God was present with Solomon and how he's so much closer to you. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 2 and 3. As he begins his message, Solomon gets busy.
1: Second Chronicles 2, we hope to get through 2 and 3, and Solomon's going to get busy. Let's open with a word of prayer, please. So now, Lord, as we come to your word, we ask, Lord, that you would settle our heart. Do White, look at your word and glean from it those scriptures, those important truths that are in here. And I like to call them nuggets that we can take with us, Lord, that we can take individually and take them with us and just learn more of you, Lord. And, Lord, we look at these scriptures, and sometimes, you know, we get bogged down in the Old Testament because of the law and because of all the words and things and the genealogies. But, Lord, we know that your word never comes back void. Your word goes out, and it does all the things that it is supposed to accomplish and do in our hearts, Lord. All you're looking for is a willing heart. So, Lord, I pray you will find willing hearts, hearts to receive all that you have, hearts to receive, and help us, Lord, to take those And then apply them, Lord. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. It's a blessing, Lord. I thank you for the honor of being able to handle your word. And Father, I pray, Lord, that I'll just step aside. I want to be like John the Baptist. I want to decrease, and I want Jesus to increase. And I want to just get out of the way, Lord, and let you speak boldly to your children, your people who have gathered here tonight, your sons, your daughters, your loved ones, Lord. So, Father, do a mighty work in us, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we come to chapter 2, we remember that Solomon now is king over all of Israel. Israel is not divided at this point. It is still one nation, right? one great nation. Solomon is king. Solomon was David's son by Bathsheba, and he is now king. And the author or the chronicler of Chronicles leaves out certain things that we studied in when we studied first and second Kings. He leaves out different things, and we know that there was a fight for the crown because David had another son, Adonijah, and he tried to come and take the crown from Solomon. And it was a tug of war, but the Lord wanted Solomon on the throne. So we also know that during Solomon's reign, the nation Israel experienced great peace. Remember, Solomon means man of peace. They experienced great prosperity and they experienced great power. They didn't have any enemies and they were at peace with everyone. It was great because David had done a mighty work in subduing all the enemies of Israel. Now, you might think that as you look at this, that Solomon was known for his riches, was known for his wisdom, was known for his writings, because he did write the book of Proverbs and he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. We know these things. Clearly, when we look at 2 Chronicles, when we look at the life of Solomon, the chronicler spent more time talking about Solomon's ability to build the temple than he did anything. He spent more time doing that. It was important. Remember the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book was to be a history lesson for those that were coming back from the exile, And it was extremely important that these people returning knew about their history because they were struggling to rebuild the temple at that time. They were struggling to get their temple back up. They were trying to make a place for Israel once again in this great vast world of ours. So they had Solomon as an example. And when they heard these things, they knew how to take care of things and how to get things done when they rebuilt their temple. So it was very important here. But Solomon really had it easy in a way because David had prepared everything for him. David had gone out and he'd gotten all the wood and all the trees and all the things and all the gold and the silver and all the stuff and got all the slaves and amassed a great amount of people that were going to do the work. And he even had the plans given to him by the Lord that he gave to Solomon. So Solomon's ready now to build the temple. And he has a determination within him. It's almost like he has this great intent. I need to build this temple. I need to build it. Did he get that from his father or did he get it from the Lord? We'll talk about that in a minute. So look at verses 1 and 2 in chapter 2. Then Solomon determined to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal house for himself. So the builder Solomon, and he was a great builder, he's now going to build two houses, one for the house of the Lord, and he's going to build himself a palace. Solomon selected 70,000 men to bear burdens, 80,000 to quarry stone in the mountains, and 3,600 to oversee them. We know that he is a great builder. But where did he get his desire to build the temple? Did he get it only from his father? No, because we look back in chapter 28 in verse 6 of First Chronicles. In verse 6 of chapter 28 of First Chronicles, David was talking to Solomon. He said, the Lord said to me, it is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts. And I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. So this word came from the Lord through David to his son. And so Solomon now is determined to build this temple because he knows that the Lord is with him. The Lord told him that he would be with him. The Lord told him that he would help him in his endeavor. And I think this is important. Anytime we do something with the Lord, we want to know that he's behind us and making sure it's of him. We want to make sure that we're doing things according to his will and his purpose. So Solomon gets his workforce ready. He has 70,000 men to bear these burdens, 80,000 stone quarry people, and 3,600 people to oversee them. Quite a workforce. My mind, you have to remember, it's my mind. How many of you have ever seen the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? The original Ten Commandments, Moses. I love that, I love that. Well, remember when he went, when they showed the picture of their building the city Ramses, the city, and they opened that great big curtain, and you saw all these thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jews carrying stone and moving all these things? Well, that's what this workforce would look like. That's what this workforce would look like. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of men working, doing things. And I got that vision. Like, wow, this must have been quite an undertaking and quite an incredible picture when you think about it. And only 3,600 to oversee it? I love John Corson. I really enjoy his commentaries. I really like him. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor, and I I like him a lot. But this is what he does. He relates these workers to those workers who are in the church. And listen to what he says. He says, 70,000 burden bearers represent the prayer warriors. They pray and bear others' burdens. I like that. Eighty thousand to carve stone represents the disciplers. You know, Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders, and evangelists. They smooth the edges of the living stones. I like that. And of course, thirty six hundred people speak of leadership. I thought that was clever. I, I like that a lot. So Solomon now enlists. All these people, he gets them. He doesn't enlist them. He has them. They're all slaves. They're all people that have been captured, and they're all now working for Israel. But he gets all these people, though, but he needs some help. So he calls up an old friend. You know, dial 911 friend. He called up an old friend, and let's look in verses 3 to 10 what he says. Then Solomon sent to Hiram king of Tyre, saying, As you have dealt with David, my father, and sent him cedars to build himself a house to dwell in, so deal with me. Behold, I am building a temple for the name of the Lord, my God, to dedicate it to him, to burn before him sweet incense for the continual showbread, for the burnt offerings morning and evening on the Sabbath, the new moons, and on the set feast of the Lord, our God. This is an ordinance forever of Israel, and the temple which I build will be great. For our God is greater than all gods. But who is able to build him a temple? Since heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain him. Who am I that I should build him a temple except to burn sacrifice before him? Therefore, send me at once a man skillful to work in gold and silver and bronze and iron, and purple and crimson and blue, who has skill to engrave with the skillful men who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David my father provided. Also, send me cedar and cypress and algum logs from Lebanon, for I know that your servants have skill to cut timber in Lebanon, and indeed, my servants will be with your servants to prepare timber for me in abundance, for the temple which I am about to build shall be great and wonderful. He said that several times. And indeed, I will give your servants, the woodmen who cut timber, 20,000 cores of ground wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine, and 20,000 thousand baths of oil. A bath, by the way, I think is eight gallons. Yeah, a bath equals about eight gallons. So I read this and one verse stuck out at me. One verse came to my mind and it was verse six. But who is able to build him a temple since heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him? Who am I that I should build him a temple except to burn sacrifice and offering for him? In other words, I'm not building a house for God to dwell in. The heaven of heavens can't contain him. I wouldn't want to build a house to burn sacrifices to him. And I looked at several commentators. I looked at several things. and, And the bottom line is, and what came to me is that we can't put God in a box. We can't put God in a box and believe that he's only in one place. It's always wrong to think that, that God is only in one place, to think that God can't be in more places than one. We can't localize him. Solomon knew that he was heaven, and the heavens of heavens couldn't contain him. Maybe he learned this from David, his father. And you know, the Psalm in 139, that beautiful Psalm. Listen to what David says in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and the well in the othermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. David's saying, I can't go anywhere from you. We know that God is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere. So we can't localize him and you can't escape him. You can't get away from him because he's everywhere. Now, we come here and we go, it's great to gather here tonight. Because of the Lord's presence. And I said, it's special when we gather here. We feel his presence. And that's scriptural. Wherever two or three are gathered, Jesus said, I appear in their midst. So there is scriptural. There's something special about being together. Don't forsake the gathering of the brethren. There's something special that happens here. But I'm here to tell you that God is with you at all times. He was with you on your way to church tonight when that guy cut you off. He was there. He's with you when you're surfing through that channel that you're not supposed to be surfing through. He's with you all the time. God is always with you. He is ever-present in your life. In fact, the scripture says that he's an ever-present in our time of help, but he's ever-present all the time with you. We don't suddenly all of us come, come and say, oh, he's here. No, he's here. He was here with you. He met you here. He'll go home with you. He's always with you. Don't localize him. Don't believe that he can only be in one place. I got to go to the beach because that's where God is. Well, okay. I got to go take a walk in the woods because that's where God is. Well, okay. But He's always there. Now, you may feel nearer to him in certain places. That's true. You may feel nearer to God in certain places, and that's okay. But we need to be in the awareness of God's presence all the time. We need to know that we can come into his presence at any time. He's with us always. And I think one of the greatest needs that we have in the Christian experience and Christian life is to know that he's with us at all times. At all times. When you don't feel like it, God is with you. When you feel rotten, God is with you. When you're having trouble, God is with you. When you're singing praises, God is with you. When you're feeling desolate, God is with you. When you have despair, God is with you. When you're having fear, God is with you. When you're celebrating a birthday, God is with you. When you're celebrating whatever, God is with you. He is always with you. I think you get the picture. He will never leave nor forsake you. He is always there. We can always count on him. He is only a breath away. Always. And I think it's important that we come to that realization. And it helps our heart when we realize that. When we realize that God is always with me. Always with me. What do I have to fear? What do I have to fear? Perfect love casts out fear. It's interesting that that happens. We need to seek his presence if we would become more aware of his presence, I believe we would see great changes in our lives. Luke was speaking. He says this in Acts 17, 28. He says, for in him, the Lord, we live and move and have our being. He is everything to us. We live, we move, we have our being. It's because of God's presence. When I'm aware of that, then I don't want to live in anything that is displeasing to him. When I realize he's always with me, and I take him everywhere I go, and he's there, I really don't want to do anything that was going to be displeasing to him. He knows me, and my life's just an open book to him, and he's seen it before, God's presence. The other verse that stuck out to me is verse 8, when he's talking about the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon, they were known for their aromatic smell. You know, cedar, come on, you've all smelled some cedar sometimes, it has that really great smell. And it also was resistance to decay and to bugs. It was resistant to that. These cedars were massive in Lebanon. They were huge. And They were a symbol of luxury and wealth. It's pretty cool. Did you know that to this day, the flag of Lebanon has a cedar tree on it? You would know that if you watch Fun with Flags. I slide these little things in just to make sure you're watching, just to make sure you're thinking. Come on. So Solomon recognized. He said, we're not building you a house, God, that you can come in and live, and we can come and visit you at the house. Who am I to build you a house, Solomon says. So he's writing to Hiram, and he's asking for these cedar trees and these things to cut from Lebanon, and he wants a man to come down who will take care of all these things. He wants them to come down. We just want to make sacrifices, but send us a skilled guy who can do all these things can kind of oversee the construction here. We need a clever guy who's good at carving and artists and castings and all that kind of stuff. So. And so he contracted to give these men the servants that would cut the wood in the forest and everything. He said, I'm going to give you 20,000 measures of wheat, which would be beaten wheat, which would be flour. You beat the wheat long enough, it becomes flour, and measure 10 bushels. And the amount of flour, the beaten wheat, I'm going to send it to you. Like I said, a bath is about eight gallons. So Hiram answers Solomon in verse 11. He says, And Hiram, king of Tyre, answered in writing, which he sent to Solomon. Because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over them. What a great thing to say. That's pretty encouraging because the Lord loves his people. Now, we don't know much about Hiram as far as his Background with the Lord, but he talks an awful about the Lord in this thing. But we do know tradition says that his mother was Jewish. Tradition says his mother was Jewish, so maybe he learned about God from his mother. Or because he was such a good friend with David, maybe he learned about God by David. Maybe David was a good witness to him. I don't know. So Hiram said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who made heaven and earth. That sounds like what's right out of the Bible. For he has given... King David, a wise son, endowed with prudence and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal house for himself. And now I have sent a skillful man, endowed with understanding, Huram, my master craftsman, the son of a woman of the daughters of Dan. Dan was a tribe of Israel, all right, tribe of Israel, and his father was a man of Tyre, skilled to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, stone and wood. Purple and blue, fine linen and crimson, and to make any engraving and to accomplish any plan which may be given to him with your skillful men and with the skillful men of my Lord David your father. This guy must have been pretty good. This guy had all kinds of talents that the Lord is going to use mightily to build this place. Now therefore the wheat, the barley, the oil, and the wine which my Lord has spoken of, let him send to his servants and he will cut the wood from Lebanon as much as you need and will bring it to you in rafts by the Sea of Joppa and you will carry it up to Jerusalem. And remember, in Kings, we looked at this where they brought them down on rafts and they brought all this wood down, it was pretty cool. Verse 12, we see Hiram's word, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Wow, he had knowledge of who the Lord was, he had knowledge of who the Lord was. It's pretty cool. In verse 17 and 18 in chapter 2, we find out where these workers basically mentioned them. Then Solomon numbered all the aliens who were in the land of Israel after the census in which David his father had numbered them and were found to be 153,600. And he made 70,000 of them bearers of burdens, 80,000 stone cutters in the mountain, and 3,600 overseers to make the people work. So you see how it all fits together. The Bible, again, is the best commentary on the Bible. And you see that there. Not much to say there. So as we begin chapter three now, as we begin chapter three, we see the construction of the temple begins. And it begins at a place that was basically chosen by God through David. It's a place That was originally the threshing floor of Ornan on Mount Moriah. On Mount Moriah. Says first one in one and two. Now, Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, and he began to build on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. Now, first of all, you might be thinking, wow. How come it took him so long, four years? Well, he had to gather things. He had to send a letter to Hiram. He had to do all those things. He had to get the timber down from Joppa and all that kind of stuff. He had lots to do here. But I love the fact, I love the fact that the temple now is going to be on Mount Moriah. You know the significance? You know the significance of Mount Moriah. It was the place where God told Abraham to take his son Isaac. Take your son, your only son. Take him up and offer him up as sacrifice. What a great story. If you haven't read it in Genesis, I think it's 22, read it and look at that beautiful, wonderful story where Abraham takes Isaac and Isaac becomes a type of Christ, you know, where he has to carry his own wood, which is a symbol of the cross. He has to carry his own wood. And they go up there and they have men who are with him. And I love the fact that there's guys with him. And then he says to them, he says to the guys, we're going up in the mountain, but when we come back. I love that. He said, When we come back. Now he was going up there to sacrifice his son. But if you read the account in Hebrews, it says that Abraham had faith in the Lord that even if he had to kill his son to sacrifice his son, the Lord would raise him from the dead. Abraham believed that. Abraham believed that. And you know the story. They get up there. And Isaac said, Father. Here's the wood and here's the altar. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says those beautiful words, God will provide himself a sacrifice. This is a prophecy for Jesus Christ. It's a prophecy for the Messiah. You are sure.
0: You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave is sharing teachings that comes out of the ministry of Calvary Chapel Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. In today's message, Pastor Dave has been in the book of 2 Chronicles. Within this book, you get to know all kinds of characters who made an impact on Israel's history, good or bad. A notable lesson that's given through this account is that God gives blessing to his people when they remain faithful. But when people allow their sin nature to take over, it's easy to see how things start to unravel and then fall apart. Just like a closely knit stitch on a blanket, the people of God were blessed and stayed united with God while they were following His ways. But when they turned to their own devices, they just became a tangled mess of yarn in a sense. Their purpose and plan became useless when they were following their own way and what they thought was best. Isn't it easy to get into this type of situation where you think you know better than God? Before you know it, you've become your own tangled and messy pile of yarn as well. How about following God's pattern and seeing the benefit of what that brings? If you'd like to hear more messages from Second Chronicles, learning of God's faithfulness, go to assurehoperadio.com and look under the Messages tab. Well, we're about out of time for today's edition, but we encourage you to think and pray about what God's teaching you personally through this series in 2 Chronicles. Come back here next time to hear Pastor Dave share more on a sure Hope.